I am C.L. Whiteside, and you are listening to The Non-Microwave Truth, a podcast that is geared towards challenging culture's truth and perspective, and then putting it up against the good book, the Bible and God's word, and constantly comparing it with that. What does the Bible actually say compared to what does culture say? Now, last week, I asked a question that definitely challenged cultural norms, and that question was this. Is it okay for a woman to propose to a man? Now, I asked a bunch of different races, a bunch of different age ranges, and it was like a split decision. Now, the unique thing that I found was I don't think I heard a woman say that she would do it. Like, I definitely heard women say, yeah, it's okay for a woman to propose. But I don't think I found a woman that said, yes, I would actually propose. Or going back, I would propose to my husband. I think I might have found one, and I still got to ask her about that. But I think I actually found a woman in the Bible who proposed to a man. I think I found it. I think that woman is Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is in the Bible. It's only four chapters, so you can go read it whenever you want. And this is our first world problem question today. Did Ruth propose or did she just make it very clear and drop like a big hint? Now, I got to give you a little background about Ruth. Ruth met her first husband in her country, and it was a family that moved there to avoid a a famine. Now, Ruth's husband dies, and in the process of this, Her mother-in-law's husband dies and her sister-in-law husband dies as well. Now, the mother-in-law's name is Naomi. She's like, hey, you you probably should go back to your your homeland. And the one sister-in-law is like, all right, I'm going back. But Ruth decides to stay. Now, this is where we get into her finding a new boo, a new man. Now, Ruth is a trailblazer. She's brave enough to stay with her mother-in-law because she wasn't an Israelite. So that's why I say she's brave enough. And she's clearly a foreigner. And I bet the average Moabite wasn't worshiping the God of Israel. So fast forward a little bit. She meets a man named Boaz. You should read this on your own on how they got to know each other. Now, this is where I say, did Ruth propose to Boaz or was this just a big hint and just clear communication? Ruth 3 verse 9 says this. Ruth says to him, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Not to mention, she didn't get down on one knee like we do in our culture, but it says that she was like laying at his feet and she uncovered his feet. And it was a surprise, too, because it was like in the middle of the night and he woke up like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, there's a woman lying at his feet. And no, she was not trying to be seductive and drop the draws or let him see the panties. It was nothing like that. So don't take it like that and think, oh, that's how I get a man. That's how I get a husband. Don't do it. But yeah, just go read Ruth chapter three and you'll understand it more. Now I look at this and I say, she's boldly asking Boaz to take her in marriage because that phrase can be translated like that spread the corner of your garment over me. That seems to be their cultural relevant way of saying, I'm a widow, take me to be your wife. And I read something from a a biblical scholar that said, even to this present day, when a Jew marries a woman, he throws the skirt end of his talith over her to signify that he has taken her under his protection. So knowing this, would you say like, yeah, Ruth definitely proposed? Or would you just say like, that's a big, big hint. And she made it clear that she wanted marriage. Now, all of this was unique because how they did stuff back then, like the customs they had in terms of widows and, and marriage and how they wanted to keep like their families intact. It's just different. But a huge takeaway. The first one is this. Both seem to be very fond of each other because of their character. Ruth 2 verse 20 and Ruth 3 verse 10 to 11. It alludes to that. Go read it for yourself. So if she's fine and she got a stanky attitude, don't mess with her. Don't try to save her. 
or if he's so handsome and he's got a good job, but his character is garbage. Nah, don't run, 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 run. But yeah, would you call this a proposal by Ruth? Like, did Ruth propose to Boaz or was this just a big hint and just clear communication? I don't know. I, I think it's a proposal. But let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is championlife23. And this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode today is Women's Impact in the Bible. This is part two. If you didn't hear part one, go check that out. That's last week's episode. Now, there's a reason for this two part series. And the first one being this is Women's History Month. And what greater history to study than the Bible, especially when women have been marginalized and there's a misunderstanding of their value and role in terms of the church. And when I say church, I mean capital C. I mean like the invisible church, which is all believers despite, you know, denomination or, or affiliation. And the woman that I want to focus on today for a lot of this episode is Deborah. Deborah, I feel like she gets used a lot when talking about women of the Bible, but I think she gets misinterpreted or not depicted in the way that she should. And it's like, what you talking about, CL? Deborah is a prophet and she's a judge. And this is very rare. If you look at the book of Judges, I think she's the only woman judge in the entire book of Judges. But something that I've heard a lot of people say is God only used Deborah because there were no good men or they didn't want to step up. So they were trying to say, like, she was only important or in a, in a prominent role because of a lack of qualified and willing men. And I don't think that's safe or accurate to say one bit because God uses whoever he wants. Like he used a donkey before. He allowed a donkey to talk and pretty much tell someone like, hey, you're being an idiot. And there are several cases in the Bible where there were no good men. I put quotations around good because you know none of us are good in a way. There were no good men to lead or to speak up or to take command. Or there were men who weren't willing and they made a bunch of excuses. And women, I wasn't bashing men and calling them donkeys either. He really did use a donkey to save someone and talk. That's like in Numbers, Numbers chapter 22, starting at verse 21. But the men that I'm talking about that didn't want to step up or didn't want to lead that we have biblical examples are like, remember Moses? Moses made a bunch of excuses on why he couldn't lead the people of Israel. Or how about Gideon? Gideon wasn't too willing at first. He, he made the excuse. I'm too weak. My clan is too small. Give me more signs. Or how about Jonah? Jonah literally tried to run away from God. But God was like, I'm going to have a fish swallow you, spit you up, and you're going to do what I told you to do. So that point that there were no good men or no men wanted to step up, that's the only way, reason that Deborah was a leader. Like that's not biblical or accurate to say based off the examples I just gave you. Like God used Deborah, a woman, because he wanted to. Like I said, Deborah was unique, though, because she was a prophet and a judge. So she had a twofold office, which is very rare. And a prophet, a prophet is someone who serves as a person who talks to the people on God's behalf. Like prophets speak God's word to people. They reveal plans of the future, which they were made aware of from God. And like I was saying, she served as a judge also, which is a role to be the leader of the people of Israel. The book of Judges goes like this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of their enemy, which in Deborah's case and time were the Canaanites. This episode of Women's Impact in the Bible Part 2 
we're going to look at Judges chapter 4, which is Deborah's section, to show you why some said Deborah was only selected because there were no good men. But I'm going to refute that point. And I think there are two big takeaways, two big points that jump out besides that, that can be applied to any leader or Christian for that matter. Like I said, the book of Judges has a pattern of the Israelites get saved. They get comfortable. They start living life like the rest of the world, a.k.a. sinful and evil. Then God says, hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished. Y'all thought the grace that I was given wasn't splendid. So they wild out. If you didn't catch it, that was like a little meek meal right there. But um, God lets them get knocked upside the head. In this case, he allows them to get oppressed by a Canaanite king. They cry for help. He gives them a judge. We're going to start at Judges chapter four, verse four. It says, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Like, just stop right there. She's already a prophet. She's already appointed by God. There's, there's no mention of a man. Then it goes on to say, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So stop again. She was, she was already leading. She was already judging. She was already handling business. Now, these upcoming verses is where some get that idea that there were no good men or that she was only there because men didn't want to step up. It says in verse six, it says, Deborah sent for a man named Barak, who appears to be the military general and says, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, I think all the other judges in the book of Judges were military leaders as well. This doesn't seem to be the case for Deborah. Her judge role seemed to be like a little different. But Barak said to her, the only way I'm going is if you go. If you go, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And my first big point, my first big takeaway that I want to give you is this. We trust others relationship or position with God more than we trust our own relationship with God. I'm going to say that again. We trust others relationship or position with God more than we do our own relationship or position with God. Barack was not trusting his relationship with God. And that's a low key problem. Like our God is big enough. He's good enough. He's loving enough to have individualized, unique, special bonds with each and every one of us. A microwave truth is God loves so-and-so more. Or since this isn't packaged in the way that I want or envisioned it, I'm not doing it or I'm not opening the blessing God wants to give me. Like some of y'all have been praying for breakthroughs or opportunities, but you're adding stipulations to something that God has already sealed. Like you prayed to God to help you find the right college, but then you're like, I'm only going if my best friend goes. Or you pray for a dream job, but then you say, I'm only doing it if they give me 40K more than the current job that you hate. Some of you pray for a God-fearing man, but then you feel you meet him and says, he's got to be at least 6'6". Six, six. Some of the best things come in small packages. I'm just playing now, but, but you get my point. When Barack says, I'll go if you go, I just want to say, it's not wrong to ask for a sign or wrestle with something, but it is wrong when you tell God that you flat out won't do something. One thing is one thing to question. It's another to just say no. Not doing it when he says to do it is also a no, by the way. Now, let's look at Deborah's response. Deborah's response in verse nine says, certainly I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord would deliver Sisera, that's the Canaanite general, into the hands of a woman. 
Second big point, God will allow us to be wrong like Barak and add stipulations. But we just got to realize we cheat ourselves out of blessings with this type of response or attitude. And in Barak's case, he was cheating himself out of honor. In your case, it might be you're cheating yourself out of peace. In another person's case, it might be like you're cheating yourself out of promotion or you're missing an opportunity. And now because of that opportunity is being missed, it's now given to someone else. So be careful about cheating yourself out of God's blessings. Now, let's look at Deborah's response. And because of Deborah's response, some people have been like, see, it says Barack won't be given the honor and it'll be given to a woman. That's the only reason Deborah was a prophet or a judge. But remember, she was already a prophet and a judge before Barack said what he said. Now, let's jump into the action scene when Barack's men, accompanied by Deborah, get after the Canaanite king. Starting at verse 15, when the Israelites attacked and it says the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, he fled on foot to the tent of Jael. He went there because this is the wife of someone their king had an alliance with. Like Jael's husband and the king of Canaan, they have some type of alliance. It says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my Lord, come in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. He's like, hey, stand in the doorway of the tent. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Just, just say no. Now, this is where it gets to some like Evelyn Salt, Game of Thrones, um, warrior woman killer type stuff. It says Jael, she picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he was knocked out sleep. He was out cold. He was exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Verse 22, it says, but just then Barak came in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, I will show you the man you're looking for. So Barak went in with her and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple dead. So when I look at that, Deborah is not the one who killed Sisera. It was actually Jael, a, a random woman who we just finally learned about. So when I look at that, I'm like, Jael is the one who gets the honor. She's the one who gets credit for killing him because she actually killed the general of the Canaanite army. And I think this definitely refutes the point that the only reason that Deborah was a prophet or a judge is because Barack didn't want to step up and be the, the military leader that he should have been. Now, her role as a general might be different, but you can clearly see she was handling disputes. She was a prophet. She was a person appointed and anointed by God. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, people have also used Deborah to be like, see, this is why I do not need a man. I do not need a man at all. And that's not the case either. We, we need each other. We most certainly do. Now, we could get into women's roles and break that down, but that, that could be a whole nother episode or a whole nother series. But there is a great sermon from Pastor James Hine, who's the pastor at St. Marcus Church, and he breaks down some of these things that are touched upon with Deborah in a very eloquent way. You can type in, go to YouTube, type in St. Marcus, type in Deborah. It's like November 20th, 2021. He has a great sermon on Deborah and it breaks down a lot of these different things and talks about women's roles and all that. I would highly encourage you to listen to that. Now, on this episode of Women's Impact in the Bible, the question I have for you is, 
Are you happy with your role or current status? Are you letting God define these things? Did you notice anything when Deborah told Barak God was going to deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman? Like, I think there are some big things to learn from Deborah. And the first thing is Deborah embraced her role. She stayed in her own lane. She trusted in God. You notice she didn't take up a sword and go after Sisera and say, I have to be that woman to get the glory and honor. But she also didn't duck her assignment and say, oh, why me? Why, why me? She also didn't complain or start bashing Barack. She just handled her business and did what she was supposed to do. She did get on her Beyonce and make a song in Judges chapter five, though. I'm just playing. Well, not really, but she there is a song. The song of Deborah, Judges chapter five. Go read it. And to kind of close or wrap this episode up of women's impact in the Bible part two, I want to look at Jesus and I briefly want to just share some unique facts about Jesus because all of us need Jesus and Jesus didn't discriminate. He definitely did not discriminate against women. In Jesus's time, the cultural norm was to treat women almost as second class citizens. But we see with Jesus, he didn't do this at all. Like he addressed women in public and he treated them as human beings. He talked to them with love and and with compassion. And you're like, well, how can you say this? How can you prove this? In John chapter 11, when Lazarus died, it talks about how he loved Mary and how he loved Martha. And it talks about him loving them and seeing them as individuals and, and human beings. In Luke 8, verse 1 to 3, it talks about how Jesus let women come along with him and the 12 disciples. Jesus saw women as human beings. In Luke chapter 10, verse 39, this is unique. And this is the story of Mary and Martha. And why this is so unique is because he clearly sees and, and puts an emphasis on teaching Mary. And this shows that he understands that women have great intelligence. He was not at all like women need to be in the kitchen making me a sandwich. Yep, that's the job of a woman. No, not at all. In fact, he applauded Mary for sitting at his feet and wanting to learn. And he wanted Martha to be doing that and not be consumed with the things of, of the kitchen and the normal woman duties. I put air quotes on that. This clearly shows that Jesus wasn't just about teaching men, but he clearly wanted to teach women. He saw the importance of women studying and understanding God's word. And just like another thing that shows his compassion and intentionality and consciousness of putting an emphasis on women, especially in a time where they might have been marginalized or just seen as a second class citizen, is the bleeding woman in Mark chapter five, verse 25 through 34. Now, this is found in like two other sections in the gospel, too. Now, she this woman was deemed to be unclean, but said, I just have to touch him. This is her thought process. I just have to touch him and I'll be healed. Well, she was. And when she touched Jesus, Jesus didn't get mad. Like, why is this nasty, unclean woman touching me? He didn't get mad at all. He said, actually, he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So Jesus didn't just want to free men. He wanted to free women. He wants to free every single person. And these are just a few of the many times that Jesus showed the importance of women and showed love and compassion to them, despite how their society or their culture might have viewed them at that time. Jesus didn't care about what was socially acceptable or unacceptable at the time. He was about love. He was about serving the people. He was about serving women. 
And to close up this final thought, women were created in God's image. There are women who model Christ-like love, Christ-like compassion, Christ-like courage and leadership every single day. Now, the female leader that we looked at today, Deborah, didn't get caught up on status. She didn't let culture limit or shape her. She let the creator shape and define her. So I have to ask you, and I want you to think real hard about this. Who are you allowing to define and shape who you are and what type of history you're making? And if you're lost or don't know where to look, don't look at our culture. Don't look at our society. Look at God's word. Look at the biblical truths. Look at Jesus' truths. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Women's Impact in the Bible, part two. If you didn't check out part one, go back and listen to that. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, hit the five star, share it with a friend, and let's get more people to hear the gospel and hear the non-microwave truth. And we have a four-part series coming up titled American Idol. We're going to look at some different idols in our American culture that affect you, me, and the world around us, the people around us. Idols that you probably wouldn't think of or usually wouldn't think of. But yeah, that's coming up. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out. <laughs>